0: Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. I have been told by some that because I am an old white Christian without a uterus, (laughs) that I should not talk about abortion. So for those that it matters to, here is another perspective. And it's from Beverly McMillan, who writes for the Daily Wire. She says, I knew since high school that I wanted to go into medicine. I wanted to help and heal people. And in 1966, I graduated from the University of Tennessee, Memphis. I did my residency training at the Mayo Clinic and with an externship in Chicago at Cook County Hospital. That is where I learned about abortion. One of the rotations I did was on the infected OB ward. I was in charge of the women coming in from the emergency room after incomplete abortions from back alley mills in the city. I would stabilize them, start IVs, give blood, and administer antibiotics. The next morning, I took them to a treatment room to do a, uh, a suction and DNC to scrape out whatever tissue the abortionist had left inside. At that time, I became outraged. That's when I decided to try to help women by offering safe abortions. What I didn't realize at the time was that abortions are never safe for the woman or her child. At this point in my life, I was 27 and religiously agnostic And then in 1975, two years after Roe v. Wade mandated legal abortions nationwide, I moved to Mississippi. I was married, and I had three little boys. There were very few women OBGYNs at that time. And when I started teaching at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, I was approached by the organizers of the first freestanding abortion clinic in the state. They had everything lined up and needed a physician to be the abortionist. And in the fall of 1975, I opened up Family Health Services in Jackson, Mississippi. One, just one year into my time at the clinic, I had a crisis. My marriage wasn't going well. Uh, depression had set in, and I even had thoughts of suicide. In my search for answers, I found the book, The Power of Positive Thinking, and through reading it i also found christ although i continued to commit abortions for the next 2 years i noticed that i was having more difficulty going to the clinic and something just didn't feel right anymore the last abortion i ever did was a 12 week suction dnc and after that type of procedure i would have the patient remain on the table while i took her t- took the cloth trap from the suction bottle to the sink. Uh, That's where I would pick through the parts that I had suctioned out. Two arms, two legs, etc. This was to ensure that I had successfully completed the abortion. That particular day, one of the workers asked if she could join me at the sink so she could learn more about the procedure. When I showed her, this terrible sadness came over me. For the first time, I saw a little boy. At 12 weeks old, we could see his perfectly formed little arm and tiny bicep. At that moment, I had a flashback. I could imagine my own son in my mind with the same little arm, flexing his bicep and smiling at me. Zing. That's how it felt. I shook myself. Five minutes ago, this was a perfectly beautiful little boy, and now he was in pieces. I never committed another abortion. I resigned in the fall of 1978. Two years later, a statewide pro-life group in Mississippi was being organized, and I was invited to a lunch meeting. They wanted to get uh, to gather pro-life professionals, especially in the medical and legal fields, to help. When they found out I was a former abortionist, they encouraged me to begin speaking on behalf of the pro-life movement. I have spent the rest of my life fighting to end abortion. I first heard of Leela Rose when she started her undercover investigations. Now I'm honored to be a part of Live Actions, What is Abortion? video series, where former abortionists like myself share the truth about What really happens during an abortion? Recognizing the humanity of the preborn child is what ultimately got me out of this awful industry. I knew it, but I never truly saw it until it just clicked. I saw that little boy who could have grown up to be just like my beautiful son. As we came, as we come upon, the reversal of Roe v. Wade with the Supreme Court's decision on Dobbs v. Jackson. I committed more than ever to sharing the truth about abortion. Although overturning Roe is necessary, it's not what's going to end abortion. It's, it is convincing one person at a time that will finally end this national tragedy. And when people learn, they change. And following that by Michael Brown uh, also writes uh, for the Daily Wire. He says, as we make the case for life, it's important to remember that not everyone shares our our priests' uh, suppositions. We may believe in God and affirm that the Bible is God's word, but others we speak with deny his existence and, and treat the Bible like any other book. How can we make the case for life to people of faith and to those who do not share our faith? Ultimately, both the secular and religious arguments intersect at one essential point. There is a tiny human being inside that womb, and its life should not be terminated. But how we present our arguments will differ based on uh, on our audience. So... From a religious point of view, from the perspective of of Bible-believing faith, we start with the recognition that it is God who gives life, and that, at at the moment of conception, life begins. From that split second, an intricate process of development begins described vividly and in non-scientific terms (laughs) in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. It says this, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. It's just a great, great piece of scripture. Uh, Digging deeper into the scriptures, we, we note that Isaac's wife, Rebecca, was told that two nations were in her womb pointing to the the personhood and the potential of her unborn twins both of whom would become the ancestors of whole nations that's obviously from genesis 25 21 and 23 similarly john the baptist leapt in his mother's womb when miriam mary arrived and and with the with the baby jesus in her womb that's from luke 1 39 through 43 you can also see luke 115 where where John would be uh, filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. A, a clump of cells does not jump with spiritual excitement, nor can a, can a clump of cells be filled with the Spirit, can it? And in the same way, God told the prophet Jeremiah that, that he had selected him as a, as a prophet before he was even in his mother's womb, which was his point of origin in Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, while Paul said that God set him apart from his mother's womb, Galatians 1, 15. So put another way, when, when Jeremiah or Paul or, or John or, or even Jesus looked like a, a, a clump of cells in their mother's womb, which is how and, and where you know we all start, God had a, a purpose for their lives. And and there was a divine destiny within them to abort them would be to abort the divine process and and unique uh, destinies planned for their lives in keeping with this although not in the context of abortion there there is a jewish tradition that it, that explains why when cain killed abel the the hebrew speaks of of abel's bloods in in, in plural Crying out to God from the ground. That's in Genesis 4:10. This, the tradition states, is because the text spoke of both Abel and his potential future descendants. In all their blood cried out for justice from the ground. In the same way, when a baby is killed in the womb, all its future is killed with it. So now let's take a, a particular look at the The secular point of view, uh, coming from a, a non-religious point of view, the the emphasis should be placed on science and and humanity. From the perspective of science, we demonstrate that there is a baby, not not a growth inside the mother. From the perspective of humanity, we tell the stories of those who survived abortion or were conceived in rape uh, along with the stories of the women and men who participated in abortions and were, you know, scarred for life because of it. Recently, even non-religious people like Bill Maher and, and Joe Rogan have, have made statements recognizing the complexities of the abortion debate. Uh, Rogan said, I am 100% for a woman, a woman's rights, rights to choose. But as a human being, just a person observing things, there's a big difference between a little clump of cells and a fetus with the eyeball and a beating heart. And for anybody to pretend there's not, well, we probably better stop there in his, his quote. As for Mar, he opined, it's, it's what you think. If, if you like babies, then you're pro-life. If you like women, you're pro-choice and I like women. He said, I, I just, I feel like abortion is unique it is because people either, you just have this view that it's murder. I could put the argument on a hat when people talk about a a woman's right, murder isn't a right. If you think it's murder, I don't. Again, crazy me. (laughs) Yeah, you can kind of hear him saying that, right? What can we do to help non-religious people though and 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 to help them recognize that there is a real human being inside that womb many abortions take place when a baby is eight weeks old at which time the baby is just the size of a raspberry but according to pampers.com website (laughs) hardly a religious website right at this stage hands and feet are formed tiny fingers and toes and those arms are able to flex at the elbows and wrists. It also says at this, t- at this point, eyes begin to develop pigments and genitals are, are forming too. Although it's still too soon to know whether you're expecting a, a boy or a girl. These external features aren't the only things developing. The internal organs are making strides too. As the uh, in- intestines form, they start to take up space in the uh, umbilical cord because there's not enough room in your baby's abdomen yet. Even at this early stage, the intestines are working to carry waste away from the body. This is a a living, developing human being, which is why this section of the Pampers website, which is designed to be read by Expecting Mothers, is so filled with wonder and excitement. This is about your little girl or your little boy. Looking at ultrasound images of babies in the womb is also quite powerful, making late-term abortions, in particular, sound all that more barbaric, which of course they are. Uh, memes have been created comparing a, a powerful image uh, that helps um, you know outlaw slavery in in the British Empire with the you know the the chained slave asking, uh, "Am I not a man? Am I not a brother?" Uh, with the image uh, that that is created, depicting a baby in the womb, asking the same thing: Am I not a baby? Am I not a sister? And and that's why expectant mothers grieve deeply over a miscarriage, even early in their pregnancy. They don't need a doctor to tell them that that they lost a child and and not a tumor. You can also ask a, a pro-choice friend if. If they're they're familiar with the acronym POC, standing for products of conception, uh, referring to the baby parts that that get uh, thrown away after an abortion, ask them if they're willing to look at these babies and baby parts. Do they really support this? Or consider the story of Dr. Bernard uh, Nathanson, uh, as as noted in a medical law journal. Uh, It says this as, quote, during his tenure as director of the largest abortion clinic in the Western world, Nathanson presided over 60,000 abortions, and he performed more than 1,500 in his own practice. His uh, studies of embryonic and um, evidence from emerging technologies to monitor the exam uh, uh, infrastructure. uh, the 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 development of of the fetus uh, led Nathanson to question the morality of voluntarily interrupting pregnancy, thence to rejecting abortion procedures from his own clinical practice altogether, and eventually to become involved in anti-abortion pro-life activities. Unquote. And he had this change of heart as as a non-believer. Uh, only later did he actually become a Christian. There are also the, the powerful stories of people like uh, Guiana uh, Jessen, uh, who survived a, a Saltine abortion, um, or the internationally known evangelist, James Robinson, uh, who was conceived in rape. A story about, uh, about him notes that at least 20 million have been saved because one doctor said no to abortion. And there are the stories of those who had abortions, uh, only to grieve deeply over the the life or the lives that they had snuffed out. Abortion hurts everyone. Now, let us then make the case for life. Let these children live. And and since we since we live in a soundbite meme-driven generation, here are some soundbite responses to to standard pro-abortion talking points, followed by. Um, you know, some answers that you can give uh, to those that want to dig a little deeper, because oftentimes when you talk about these things, you know you, what you get is these is these talking points over and over again, and and they don't even they haven't even really considered them them themselves. They don't really even consider the validity of what they're saying. It, it just sounds good, right? So, and one of those is, you know, I, I'm pro-choice. You know, I may not be a for abortion, but I'm pro-choice then why not encourage women to seriously consider all their choices and not just abortion? If you are truly pro-choice, you should advocate that abortion clinics lay out all possible choices for a pregnant woman, encouraging them to take time and make the best decision for themselves and their baby. And and if you are really pro-choice, you should be pro-intelligent choice. Which means looking at ultrasounds and thinking through all the options, and you should be you should actively support pregnancy crisis centers that exist to give women choices other than abortion. Women who who used to work at at Planned Parenthood clinics testify that they were put under pressure to meet quotas, kind of like salesmen closing a deal, since abortions actually bring in so much income. Do you do you think that, that that is fair to the mother? and her baby? Or how about the argument that says, my body, my choice? What about the other person's body inside of your body? The, the choice is robbing them of having a chance. And, and when it comes to our, our bodies, do we have the legal right to hire a doctor to, to cut off a perfectly healthy limb? A, a doctor could go to jail for, uh, you know, amputating a, a healthy arm or leg why then should anyone have the legal right to terminate a perfectly healthy baby living inside the womb abortions performed on babies believed to have serious health effects make up the tiniest percentage of abortions meaning that nearly all abortions are performed on healthy babies so what about rape and incest we hear that all that one a lot uh and and, and, and really that's a great question but Can we really focus on the ninety-eight plus percent of abortions that that do not involve rape and incest? I mean, in in reality, abortions for rape and incest count for less than two percent of all abortions, likely even less than one percent, really. So do you agree that you know those should be illegal? And even in cases of rape and incest, if you agree that there that that there is a human being inside your room, whatever the cause should that baby now be the victim too? well how about the argument that says i have a constitutional right to abortion. <laughs> well i i've got a constitution handy right here right <laughs> carry it with me. Uh, could could you show me where the constitution that that you, where in that constitution you have that right? i mean even even the pro-abortion women's center website which first states that there is no clear answer when it comes to whether or not the right of an abortion is in the Constitution, follows the sentence with this, the right of an abortion is not mentioned anywhere in the U.S. Constitution. That They actually are correct on that. As noted on the Pro-Life uh, Human Life International site, abortion is not a constitutional right according to a direct reading of the text of the constitution but it has been justified as such under the 4th amendment protection of privacy and things like that we did a whole podcast on that and in and in short the constitutional right to abortion is found not in the constitution itself but in a loose reading of the of a living document as progressives like to call it and in in the words of Brian Klaus uh, he he's he's a phd uh quote the supreme court literally conjured the right to an abortion out of thin air. And as we just saw, the Supreme Court has now agreed with that. Uh, or how about this argument? Abortion should be safe and legal. Safe and legal for whom? Abortion is is a death sentence for the baby, since there is no constitutional right to abortion, and since many legal experts, including liberal lawyers, recognize that Roe went too far where is it written that abortion should be safe and legal? Just because people say that it is that it is, and that it's true, doesn't make it so. And if you can make abortion safe for the baby, which is often ripped up alive in the in the womb before being sucked out, then then you let me know, okay? <laughs> or here's here's an argument I love. This is all about male control. I heard that one not too long ago. On the contrary, I would say many pro-life leaders are, are women, while men pressure many women to get abortions. And some of the best known pro-life leaders have been and are women. Uh, you know, there's there's many that, that could be quoted here. And among the, the three Supreme Court justices appointed by by President Trump, I would say probably Amy Coney Barrett is probably one of the most staunchly pro-life. And this is yet another white attack on poor black women. Heard that one again not too long ago. Actually, we're working to stop the black genocide since a disproportionate percentage of black babies are aborted. The truth be told, the one ones taking advantage of poor black women are the abortion clinics, which stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars should they lose the, the business of, of poor black women, sub, subsidized, of course, by the government. The most dangerous place for a black female today is in her mother's womb. I mean, do you feel that that is right and good for black Americans? Abortion is, is often an act of mercy to save a severely disabled fetus from terrible suffering. Okay. By your logic, wouldn't it be an act of mercy to kill the baby after birth then? Doesn't your argument also justify euthanizing severely disabled babies and children, especially those suffering terribly? And, and is it only the healthy and the strong who get to live or have a purpose or meaning in their lives? As for the number of abortions performed because of, of health concerns for babies, well, it's well under 1%. There's a difference between a clump of cells and a baby. A clump of cells does not have a beating heart or a uh, or or a detailed, totally personalized DNA coding. Every human being, including you and me, began as what looked like a clump of cells. The word embryo describing the first stage of a baby's life speaks of the the embryonic development of a human being. but does it does, does a clump of cells have? A detectable heartbeat? A baby does within several weeks of conception. As one pro life website pointed out, between conception and birth, the heart beats approximately 54 million times. And does a clump of cells have its own unique DNA? A baby does early in its first trimester. What if the mother's life is in danger? Well, today there are hardly any medical situations where performing an abortion will save the mother's life. As noted already in in 1967 by pro-abortion leader, Dr. Alan Guttmacher, today it is possible for almost any patient to be brought through pregnancy alive, unless she suffers from a fatal illness such as cancer or leukemia. And if so, abortion would be unlikely to prolong, much less save her life. So that's why in in 1980, former Surgeon General Dr. Everett Koop could say protection of of life of the mother as an excuse for an abortion is a smokescreen. In my 36 years in uh, pediatric surgery, I have never known of one instance where the child had to be aborted to save the mother's life. If toward the end of the pregnancy, uh, complications arise that threaten the mother's health, well, we will take the, the, the child by inducing labor or performing a, a C-section. Uh, his, his intention is still to save the life of both the mother and the baby. The baby will be premature and perhaps immaturely, depending on, on the, the length of the gestation. But because it has suddenly been taken out of the protective womb, it may encounter threats to its, its survival. The baby is never willingly destroyed because the mother's life is in danger. This is a fetus, not a baby. If you if you plan to abort an an unborn child, you call it a fetus. If you plan to keep the unborn child, you you call it a baby. Uh, to be honest, if you are welcoming, uh, you know, a planned pregnancy, you wouldn't call your unborn baby, um, you know, a fetus. Uh, you wouldn't be saying, you know, that that you're having a, ba- a baby girl fetus, would you? <laughs> right? Uh, and, and vice versa. I, I, if it, it, obviously there is no good argument for abortion uh, once you understand that this is an actual human being. This is why the question of of, of when life begins is so important, um, because what i have found and particularly when it comes to those that uh, that, that are not christians who don't don't uh, know uh, you know jesus as their lord and savior I, I i i what i have seen is that the the argument of when life begins is a stumper for them <laughs> when because you can say well you know if if life, does does life really begin when when the baby comes out of the mom, well, no, you can't really say that because life doesn't really isn't really, uh, you know, hinging on location. Just because the baby is inside the mom, does it make it not a human being? Uh, does it make it a life once it comes out of the mom? I mean, that, that that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And they'll say, well, how about viability? Well, of course, that doesn't work either for similar reasons i mean a baby can v- be viable in in you know in africa for uh you know a, a lot a, a lot uh, uh longer than than maybe in in another place where there's really good health care uh the, the the baby would then be viable a lot sooner so you know does that does that really mean that, that 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 baby's alive in one place and then when the mom flies somewhere else it's a different thing it's not a baby anymore or something I, it, again this doesn't make any sense so if, if if life really begins at conception, then this is a human being, and if you, it's a human being, well, then what justifies murder, which is what abortion is, then at that point, that that seems to be really a, a, a crux of uh, of angst for many who who support abortion. When you present that argument, when life begins. Uh, it, it is it is a stumper for them, and 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 let's let's do this. Let's look a little further into this next time, because I think this is again an issue that needs to be addressed. And you can always do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Organite Communications.